Good morning. It is December 4th. Welcome to Leather and Limits. And today we are doing our second half of Stereotypes and All Things Bullshit. <laughs> because honestly, it doesn't matter if you're into leather, kink, both, neither. There's a lot of it. Stereotypes, myths, misconceptions. Pick a feature, for lack of a better way to put it. And, you know, it, it, I don't think it's an unhealthy thing to talk about a bunch of them and, you know, bear out the truth versus the the misconceptions themselves. Because there's a bunch of them. We covered some in the first half, like, you know, the small things like the Darkly Doms and wonderful shit like that. <laughs> Which, don't get me wrong, they are based in truth. But the primary point is that there is a reason for the misconception. And understanding that there's a difference will help, you know. Like, my personal favorite is the terrifier of going to a new event and being afraid to approach any dom whatsoever. Yes. That is one of my favorites, hands down. Not because I will automatically love to terrify people. Not that I don't. Mm -hmm. I'm a terrible fucking person. But... <laughs> Because when it comes to an event situation, especially if I'm in a position where I'm a mod or anything of that nature, or look to, I don't want you to be terrified to approach me if you need to. Now, if you're looking I... to just have a scene, you can be slightly yeah. concerned because I have a reputation or whatever. That's different. <laughs> but I don't want just you to feel like to I'm person. completely unapproached. Right. Exactly. And that's the one I'm always concerned about when they have that misconception of, um, I'm afraid to go near any dom. Why? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. Like it's, but I, I will say I have encountered people whose, whose like social anxiety is that severe. They, oh, absolutely. Just getting to an event is like, holy grail, right? But yeah, I think if, if someone's dominant persona, shall we call it, is so exalted <laughs> uh <laughs> get over yourself like it's yeah and i that's why i i put them in the same category as like the ir dominate because yes, it's like i agree you are so into your own head about your persona that like you've lost touch of what it is to just be a person and like i'm sorry that's trash it is like unless you're a professional and like a professional dominatrix or, you know, any kind of pro dom. I don't think there's any call for that. Well, and even then, unless you're dealing behavior. with a customer, like, you don't have a reason well, to act like that. Well, you do because they pay you for it. But you don't turn it on until you've negotiated and been paid for it. Well, that's what I mean. Like, any project, like a, cust <laughs> a customer or prospective customer is one thing. But, but like, you're not going to walk into the paint store and act that way. I would hope not. Because that's mean, how you get labeled a, a Chad or a Karen. Right. And they exist in kink. Oh, there are God, Karens do in they kink. ever. I want to speak to your mod. Um, oh, my God. So it's we, funny, yeah. but it's true. I mean, no, that happens online all the time. And then they freak out and oh, they realize yeah. it's your server. <laughs> oh, that's even better. Uh, those I live for those those interactions. But like, even in like physical play spaces or like if you're a community organizer, Mm -hmm. it, it never it absolutely astounds me to this day how many people will come up and it's one thing to criticize or give feedback it's another to like completely rip into an organizer yeah and people i think they really lose sight of how much blood sweat tears and everything organizers 
typically speaking, because not organizers, not all are the same, right? Right. Typically speaking, if somebody has got the chutzpah to start organizing an event and really create an intentional space, they have agonized over literally everything. They've agonized over language. They've agonized oh, yeah. over like artwork, like where to even host it. Like what's the right venue, vanilla or not. Like there's, there's so much that goes into all of these different events. And it's like, I think people lose sight of that. So when they come up and they start doing critiquing, they think they're being positive and helpful mm-hmm. and it's, they are absolutely shredding into that person and it's soul sucking to watch happen. Well, and I think people forget the other side of that, too, because you did all these things, you know, you mm-hmm. you put forth the blood, sweat and tears. You found a venue, you vacated, rented however many bodies you're expecting, whatever that price tag may be, if there's money involved. You set up the supplies, whether it's tables and chairs, food, whatever it might be, right. Right. you know. And then on top of all of that, you have the personal part of the politics of setting up an event of who am I opening this to? Who do I know in the local community that are at odds with each other that might show up? How would I deal with that? How do I prep for that if they're sitting on the same side of the room? Not because you have to have to, but you should. And as a result, you kind of have to quantify that as part of the workload before you get started, especially if they're well-known personages in the community. Like if... You know, dominatrix Y and dominant B don't get along and they're both masters in their respective communities, leaders in their respective groups, and you open the table and they both have a reason to show up. You can't just ignore them. There's no way around it. Like, that doesn't work because otherwise you'd exclude them on purpose, which has its own issues. Or you have to factor for the fact that they're going to say something to each other that might be at odds and you have to... deal with that or plan to deal with that in some way, even if it's just approaching them on entry. I don't think anyone factors for any of that ever. And I'm like, that counts as part of the workload, especially if it means putting up with your dumb ass because you're being an ass to each other. (laughs) And that's (laughs) the being a dumb ass to each other is is the part that I get hung up on because I'm like, you're now intentionally being cruel with no other other goal than being cruel like that's again trash behavior it's just not at all and and if you're one of those people that's like oh yeah i'm in kink for the community as you too no i agree and it's it's one of those things like kuba had a good point about you know shouldn't they respect the space when they enter and you would think so and in most cases that should matter which is why approaching them when they enter is the best way to handle it. Like, look, you know the space you're in. It's not your space. Please respect it. It's something as simple as that. Most of the time, if they're remotely grown up, that should be enough. But we both know that doesn't always turn out the way that works. Which is unfortunate, because it should. And I'm, I'm not as diplomatic as I once was. I am not afraid to take them both into a side room and teach them, treat them both like children. Um, Sometimes you need to. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to be able to. It's like, I'm a master of Fort. I don't give a shit right now. You're acting like my fucking toddler. Shut the hell up and sit down. Well, you know, I was, I was given some really great advice. (laughs) I was given some really great advice early on when I started organizing some events. And, and it, it, like at first, I was, it kind of rubbed me wrong when I heard it. And it was, 
people are going to criticize and people are going to give you their opinions, not all people's opinions have the same weight. I'll agree with that. I was, well, okay, so on face value, I was like, well, that's not true. Everybody's right. opinion should hold the same weight. I was like, wait a minute. But I will say, dealing with the reality of that statement, yeah, you were spot on. Because because you're right, you have to look at, you, you really do have to look at the source. And if you're lucky enough to know the intention behind it, yes, that, that will yes. tell you the motivation. And that right there tells you, okay, how much weight do I place on this? Like, do I actually need to make changes? Or am I really okay? And this is just a Karen moment. Right. And so that's, no, I will say that is something that I'm new to dealing with is trying to wade through, wade through that part of it, because now I'm like, nope, that actually has a lot of value. See, and that's, that's one of those things where the time I spent in Minnesota, because a lot of it was as online as off. Um, mm-hmm. I was more intimately familiar with the politics of different people in a group than I care to be admit to. Um, because I knew most of them personally as well. Like, oh, okay, yeah. So I knew them from groups. I knew them from hanging out, but I also knew them online because some of them were my moderators when I was running groups. Mm. Some of them were people I spoke to personally on more than one occasion. Because at that point, I was single, approachable, not worried about who I was playing with. So I had a more open connection with people that way. Mm -hmm. But it means you don't treat people in the same capacities. Because you're not trying to alienate anyone just because they're having a bad day with a particular person either. Correct. But at the end of the day, you still have to remind them that you are functionally in charge or they are functionally an adult and need to act like it. And sometimes, <laughs> yeah, that means being able to say, look, I appreciate your opinion, but it don't mean dick right now. Or I appreciate your opinion, but it's coming from a place of hurt that mm-hmm. has no place here. Right. I'm not holding space for that with you. That's Exactly. That's, so my slave laughs at me because I'm constantly like, so that's a you problem, not a we problem. Yep. That's where that phrase came from for me. Because it's like, you know, absolutely correct. Like that's, well, I appreciate that that is a problem. That's not necessarily something that I have to problem solve with you. Yep. But see, my. And that's, that's hard. My old man had a saying and I have used it my entire <laughs> life. A situation on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. Right. And I have used that more times than I can count. And it's usually to people who really didn't want to hear it. Um, <laughs> but you know yeah, what? Right. They had to hear it anyway. I mean, yeah. they, yeah. you know, once upon an age, an idyllic younger Dartax <laughs> who didn't understand the concept of politics and an event would not have been afraid to just call people out, deal with it, et cetera. But, you know, especially yeah. in my time at Minnesota where I was interacting with you know, masters who'd been in the community for 30 plus years, right. newer people and of all walks of life and ages at that point. Cause the, the mm-hmm. now, as we yep. recognize the younger movement, quote unquote, in right. the last few years has become so much stronger, but back then it was much more variable across the board. And while Minnesota does have a leather community, it's not big there. So okay. their their kink community is much more all over the place in terms of where it comes from, who started it. Got it. There's a Got large it. swinging community there that is part of that in oh. their own way. Um, okay. It's separate. Like, it's not considered part of the same group. But, like, uh, uh, Woody hmm? was yeah. one of those who actually helped run one of those. And he was overseeing one of okay. their kinky 101s for swinger okay. groups. Okay. That kind of thing. So they could intro into the other end of that community if they wanted to. In a way that allowed a them nice to recognize transition. there's a difference, which was a big part of yeah. that too. 
is like you're all part of the same group as far as vanilla world's concerned but you need to understand there's variables yeah and that i will say that is something that i've had to learn how to plan around as well as as an organizer because yeah that's so that's a great stereotype to start with i I appreciate (laughs) that one good good intro it's it's Um, it's an excellent one sadly oh it, it is that's actually a really great segue because i will say um when you have other kink identities that start coalescing with the BDSM community, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't understand how different they are. Yes. They don't understand the different ways that they view consent. Um, because consent in the swinger world is radically different than consent in the kink world. Oh, God, is it um, ever. You know, consent in the gay bar scene is completely different than consent in you know, a BDSM scene. And so if you're used to engaging with a leather, your view of consent is going to be very skewed when you get into a BDSM space and you are yes. not going to be looked at very fondly. No, I agree. Uh, and it's, and so it's, it's these, I, I will say that's I, the swingers get the hardest rap when it comes to that, because people are like, you know, a lot of BDSM people are like, Ew, swingers. Meh. But you know that's what? Not There's kinky. nothing. Well, I mean, it is a kink in itself and a fetish it absolutely in itself for those is a that kink. feed it. But it's just a different one. It's kind of like how we talk about where BDSM side of kink is its own little group. Yeah, it's and niche. most people just assume that kink and BDSM are synonymous, and they're technically not. They're separate parts they're of the different. same whole. It's just one is effectively nested within the other. Exactly, which is why, and that's and the funny thing too is like people get really really hung up. Well, BDSM just means bondage dominance masochism and i'm like right well that's technically true I, I would i would argue that it's it has shifted well it's the people who use it to denote power exchanges specifically as a separate communal entity recognize it for what it means on both sides of it mm-hmm. and that's there's exactly. nothing wrong with being able to identify that if again like we've said with labels and everything else if you can communicate it clearly the way you see it there's nothing wrong with that because Kinksters, as a general whole, aren't worried about it anyway. So they'll just take it in stride. They don't use BDSM as a statement on a regular basis to care either way. So. Oh, that's true. But it is a case where, you know, you have your swinger groups, you have your leather groups, you have your BDSM groups, you have your general kink groups, your rope groups, which are technically separate from that to an extent. If they're exclusively rope. I would say they're separate. And they're not always, but they can be, I should say, if they're strong enough. But they largely are. Yeah. They are for themselves. It's just how many of them are around for them to feel differentiated. Let me put it that way. Because there's only like two or three in the area. They're not going to segregate themselves because it would mean segregating themselves out of the community as a whole sometimes. Whereas if there's a good enough big group of them, they can actually congregate better. And I think that plays a big part of that. I feel and like you there draw... should be a specific name for that. There really should be, and I think... Like, if you have a murder of crows and you have an embarrassment of pandas, what do you call a gathering of rope fetishes? Uh, tires? I mean... <laughs> that's terrible, and I really don't mean that. Please don't tires. anyone who hears that take it seriously, I promise. <laughs> um, I feel like there should be a name for that, though. It almost... Sh- <laughs> I'm surprised there isn't, actually. Like... <laughs> Because we have rope tops and rope bunnies, or riggers and rope bunnies. Yeah. And riggers works, but riggers only covers half of it. So I'm not sure mm-hmm. if I'd want to use it that way. And I don't want to speak for them. That's what I'm saying. What's a collection them. of rope enthusiasts? Like, there there should be a name. 
I feel like there should there be really name should. Jutes? <laughs> well, no, Sounds that's fancy. its own. Jesus, I know. That's its own thing. Uh, yeah, God, that's you true. Can't that. I'm not touching that with a ten foot pole. You got a good point. <laughs> oh my gravy! Uh, but meanwhile, you draw a giant circle around all of those, mm-hmm. and you have the polyam community. Not because they're all part of the polyam community, but the polyam community will dip in and out of each and every one of those circles, both separately and jointly. And they all can intermingle in, like, it's like giant six concentric rings that all have overlaps. That's the best way to <laughs> it's describe it. the worst it. Venn diagram ever. It is, but it's accurate. It is. Mm-hmm. And they all have their own form of consent. Their own mm-hmm. methods of communication, their own preferences, because I know people in the polyam community that are technically vanilla. As weird oh, as yeah. that may sound to someone who's unfamiliar with it, you are not automatically well, because... polyamorous just because you're kinky. Well, and that, yeah, see, that's another misperception, too. Like, and, and of course, the other one, too, is, well, if you're if you're poly for your relationships, that you're poly for play. And, like, I'm and one of the people that has a distinction there. And I'm one of those people that falls in that category that I'm sexually monogamous currently. I do practice ethical non-monogamy, but I'm poly and pansexual for play. That's a good way to describe it. I will absolutely beat anyone. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. I will. I will. Like, I I literally, (laughs) like, I am so approachable for pickup play and stuff like that. I truly don't mind. I love it. Now, there's something you want to you want to try out explore and it's in my wheelhouse come talk to me see your girl see that's the... i love it yeah no no i agree but with that's you. but that's the different not everybody feels that way and there's i feel like a lot of people when they come into the scene as brand new folks they and i and i say this because it came it came to light or came to a head for me um, as an event organizer somebody was attending the event for the first time and their question to me literally was, one, how do I dress? What's the dress code? You know, what do people normally wear? Which is a common question, especially oh, yeah. if you're dealing with women. <laughs> Fair. And the second, the second follow-up to that was, do I have to participate? I was like, yeah, oh, that's my a God. Big one. That's another misperception that I yes. hates me to my core, that everybody thinks it's an eyes wide shut type event. And I'm like, no, for fuck's sake. No, nobody can. No, no, there's no such thing as forced interaction. No. And I will say this is something that I've learned from dealing, um, talking with my friends that travel in specifically gay circles. Okay. That their version of consent, and this is why I kind of said it, you step into their space, you're acknowledging that you are accepting of their consent. And what it uh, means to that group. No, I understand because once upon a time, that's the way leather perceived things as well. Mm-hmm. Is if it was a major leather event that was kinky, if the moment you walked in the door, you were effectively consensual within mm-hmm. scope. I mean, there were limits yeah, within scope, to negotiate, sure. but but this is yeah, and it's yeah, one of the things I, I find interesting is there was an event that I started with in Minnesota. And not everybody does it this way anymore, but I thought it was a great way is when you entered the building, they had like a clipboard cheat sheet where you could put your name down either as a participant or Mm -hmm. effectively a a audience member. Top. Okay. Top or bottom, either one. 
Okay. But you so chose willing to participate then. or watch her. Uh, essentially. So if you gotcha. were curious okay. to play, you were put in the group with those that were interested in play and those that were not would not. And you'd get a separately colored name tag so that the mods and staff, etc., could all unidentify and the other people could identify, right. okay, you are interested in playing, you are not. Now, in that particular right. events case, you were paired up by the mod group so that it was relatively unsocially controlled. So it was a bit more random and you had more, you know, you didn't know who you'd be working with, but that wasn't a mm -hmm. bad thing because it was a very intro style, you know. But I love the fact that they had this in a way where you could identify on site if someone was remotely interested or not. You know, kind of like the old fashioned, you know, hanky code almost. Yeah. Almost. Not quite. Yeah, it's like a, it's a hanky cheat sheet. <laughs> right. As opposed to having like a billion janitor keys hanging out the back pocket. Um, Are you cruising or no? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was a simple way to do that, even for newcomers who wouldn't understand any of that. And yeah. that's why I liked it. It kept it simple for everyone. And even people who were new didn't have to, were not mm -hmm. in a position where they had to worry about it happening later. Yes. And that was yes. what I liked the most about it is it was very clear up front how that would work. Well, and and I think when you're talking about entering a space that you may not be part of yet or you're not necessarily identifying and you're trying to see is this right for me? Right. I think that's even more important because Yes. One of the other things that I've seen, you know, and and I've and I've seen it firsthand. Again, running running a physical play space like I've I've seen it, right? Where people they, they come in and they think, okay, I have to behave a certain way because it's what I'm seeing. And they're not understanding what is behind the behavior. So what you have is a bunch of people that just start almost like mimicking to try to fit in and blend because they don't want to stand out as the new person. Right. And that kind of toxic learning. And, and, it's, and it's not toxic by its own right. It's human behavior. Right. You're stepping into a group that you don't know anybody yet. You don't. You haven't been able to latch on to somebody as a guide, right? So of course you'll you'll kind of be a wallflower and then mimic until you can make it till you make it. Right. And largely, I'm okay with that because you spot it usually pretty quick. Oh yeah. What I'm not okay with is the people that try to bluff it. It's like yeah, they're BDSM inevitably going is, to hurt themselves or others in the process, and that's and it's just disingenuous, right? Because there's so many people that actually want to help you and, and actually want to learn. Like right. by and large, most kinksters, when you enter a kink space, actually want to be helpful. They're not a dick yeah. for dick's sake. Those are pretty rare. So I always tell people when they're brand new, if you're unsure about something, find a staff member and ask. Even if it feels like a dumbass question, come ask us because yeah. I would much rather you ask and know for sure what's expected and what's okay in the space instead of winging it and then getting corrected, panicking and leaving. Agreed. 100% agreed. Too. I've seen people leave over really minor corrections where a staff member or DM will walk up and like, hey, just so you know, in this party, that doesn't really fly. They get flustered. They get nervous. They disappear. Sometimes they yeah. come back. Sometimes they don't. And it's like, ugh. And what a missed opportunity with somebody who is brand new. Yes. And it's, and it's usually all over really silly. They just didn't understand deep stuff. Well, yeah, because nobody bothered to explain it to them in some cases. And that's, yeah, no, I agree. Just trash. Well, and it comes and so full that's circle. My problem with it. No, I 100% I am right there with you. Uh, it's one of those things that comes full circle to the whole intro thing that we started with, with, you know, unapproachable domly doms. Mm -hmm. And it's. I understand that part of that is the misconception of new people who are bottoms 
who are terrified yeah. of going anywhere near one. Especially, mm-hmm. you know, it's better now because digitally we have much more information than we did even a decade ago. But let's go by that. Just for the sake of reference, let's go by, you know, you didn't get a chance to read BDSM Wiki even first or find FetLife. Let's say you literally mm-hmm. walked into your first munch because you literally have nothing else to go by. Right. So you have no prior knowledge what to expect, anything. So my biggest concern at that point is I don't want anyone who is a top to be unapproachable in that sense. I don't mm-hmm. care if you're a seasoned master at a munch. And we've yeah. talked about that kind of thing before, but I mean, mm-hmm. especially in this case, if yeah. you're lurking with new people who have that sheen starry eyed of, I've never been to this. I don't know what I'm doing. Deer in the headlights look, mm-hmm. which is inevitably going to happen because they don't know what yeah. they're doing. They have no idea what to expect. They're baby they managed to get out of their car and into the space. Mm-hmm. And they're Absolutely. probably terrified. No, no, they are. It's not probably. They are terrified. Right. For never seen anybody reasons. walk into a space and be like, hi, y'all. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, there's a reason for that, too, because they only yeah. know, especially if they had no prior knowledge, they don't know what to expect. They don't know if they're going to have to participate. They don't know mm-hmm. if somebody's going to hurt them by accident, how much exactly. they're going to like it or not. Like, There's so many things bouncing around their brain. The last thing they That's need is someone who is already supposed to be a symbol of authority and responsibility. Even if it's just in general, to appear unapproachable when that is the last thing they need. Because you don't know who they're going to come up to. I mean, hopefully one of the you yeah. know community members who actually matters, whether it's a mod or a greeter or something, catches them on the way in. So they at least have something. But God forbid, Some let's basis. say it's a giant venue like you'd remember like the old fetish factory parties back in the day down uh, in Lauderdale Jesus. where it could yeah. walk in off the street. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Now, granted, yeah. those are not the norm by any stretch, but they are not a great example because those did happen, especially on the East coast. They happened a lot more mm-hmm. and someone could literally walk in off the street with no knowledge. And there's just people everywhere. And there's people in the back screaming yeah. and you're hearing zaps and wets and sounds and everything under the sun. And it's just a deluge on your senses. Mm-hmm. And there's no one at the door other than, you know, basically the person to make sure nobody's walking in with a gun or something equally, to, you know. Mm-hmm. But after that, they paid you paid your dues, you walks in, and, you know, that's that. Anyone can come up to you. And that's where the misconception matters. That's when it matters to make sure they don't think those things are the myths. Because they are going to be terrified out of their boots. I lost track of how many people I came up to, whether they're young, old, female, male. I don't care. I didn't care if they projectively decided they were a swinger or a top at the end of the day. When they walked in with that, oh, my God, what do I do? I would actively go up to them, even as a younger person, and be like, hey, so you're clearly new. That's not (laughs) a bad thing. Don't be afraid. I'm not going to approach you in a way you're unhappy with. Let's talk. And I'd work, walk them around and I'd talk to them and I, uh, providing they weren't like, you know what? I'm good. I'll be on my own. You know what? Well, I did my best. I mean, best. I can eat anything. Yeah. Don't be, you know, I will point out who the mods are if I'm not one of them and just be like, you know, if you need one of us, let me know. If you see me and you need a question answered, don't hesitate to grab me, you know, but do as you please. And that would be mm-hmm. that. But at least gave them a barometer to go by that was welcoming. 
and this is coming from someone who would usually walk around in those days in basically jeans and a, if I was lucky in a shirt, half the time I ran around bare chested because I was usually demoing. Uh, <laughs> exactly right. And that was just the look at the time, that or just in a vest. I mean, you know, the, the symbol Absolutely. of sadism, as it were, back in the day. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but that's why that reassurance was even more necessary, because I did have the look. And I, you know, with people I was familiar with, I was a sadist. Mm-hmm. So if you didn't know me and you walked up and you watched me being a sh- bloody wanker to everyone around me. And you didn't know better, you'd be like, oh. <laughs> I hit the wrong button. <laughs> I went to adjust the volume and exited out of the entire window. <laughs> it happens. It does. And you know the Imperatrix is not awake yet. Trust me. I understand. <laughs> Today's not so bad. But tomorrow when I'm up at like 4.30 in the morning to go to work by 6, that's going to suck. Um, that's disgusting. Don't even mention that. That's it, gross. I didn't need to say anything else. <laughs> gross. Just gross. Who right. cares about your issues, Dartax? Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't going to be my issues. going to be theirs for me. <laughs> well, yeah. you got to deal with me now. Um, There's not so even going to be time to brew coffee first, so they're really going to get me at my best. Um. Ew. It's just, ew. That's inhumane treatment. Gross. For them, it will be. They don't know what they're in for yet. Mm-hmm. It's like, you signed me up for this shit. You get what you get. Um. But no, that that whole thing, like that whole approachability part was something that mm-hmm. I felt was important as a result, because I know that some random coming up while I was dealing with people I knew with would not get the impression that I was approachable. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that's why it was important for me to meet those people and greet them with that air of openness of, hey, what's going on? How mm-hmm. can I help? So that that myth was immediately busted before they even put it in their own head. And unfortunately, that's not as common as I'd like it to be by any stretch. And I feel like everyone who is a no. top in that environment should at least try. Keyword being try. I don't expect perfection. Mm-hmm. Most of the time. <laughs> and no, and I, but I think by and large, people do try. I think, um, I think a lot of times what we don't do is give grace for, for some behaviors. And I'll agree with that. And it's and again, it's not born out of place of maliciousness. It's it's. No. I will say this: experienced kinksters need to be willing to be a little more magnanimous about things when people are new. Instead of just saying, "Well, that's shitty behavior," and I'm not interacting with you, it's okay to develop that as a personal boundary. But if you're in it for a sense of community, it was it a teachable moment, or are you just being a dick? I agree. I do right? 100% agree. Because so many people actually want to learn. They want to be respectful. They're not trying to come in, you know, and take over somebody's space or take up space that is not intended for them. They truly don't mean ill. Because um, like you said, they're terrified already. So mm-hmm. their personality has kind of already, already been drilled down. So they're a little more open to criticism. And so I think people need to be kinder when they do it. Because again, that will make or break whether or not they come back. And just from like... You know, since I manage a physical space, like from a customer service perspective, right? That right. matters intensely, especially on behalf of the staff. Not an easy thing to train and teach, though, in kink, because it's no. always everything in kink has like everything's in absolutes, and it's so yes <laughs> ridiculous. 
And that's and that's why these stereotypes start popping up of the terrified newbie. Or, you know, the guy walking in with all the gear that they bought on Amazon and they're ready to play. <laughs> you know, they, they walk into a dungeon for the first time with a fully stocked kit and you're like, so, you know, I would love to play with you, but looking at all your gear, um, none of this stuff will actually survive a scene. Yeah. You know, you dropped four or five hundred dollars on gear because you didn't know what you wanted. You just got frenzied and some of all of it's the things. gonna snap when I sneeze at it. All like, of it's yeah. gonna break. Yeah. Or it's just yeah. not gonna last, right? And that's we ended up like I end up doing like I'll call it open toy bag with a lot of people for that reason. Like I'm gonna show you the difference between a five dollar flogger and a three hundred dollar flogger. That's a good way to put it. Right? I'm gonna show you the difference between a twenty dollar whip that you bought at an equestrian store. Versus an actual whip used, you know, on people. You know, and, and why these different things don't exactly work that well. Or they'll work for specific purposes. You know, like if I'm having a scene that I know is going to involve a lot of messy play, I'm going to use a lot of disposable toys. You're not wrecking my shit. And probably a drop cloth or two, but that's another story. <laughs> well, that's different. <laughs> You're right. I travel, I travel with gigantic puppy pads. Uh, you um, get it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Also, people are gross. <laughs> to to quote, so wish isn't a good kink supply. No, no, it no. is not. I mean, <laughs> wish is great if you want templates for shit you want to make yourself. Yeah, that's what I tell people. If that's you're a the good way to like put it. leather workers, leather work is a great example because like if you're one of those people that loves creating bondage gear, shop on Wish, rip the templates, and make your shit for yeah, you. Yeah, that's a good way to. Put I think it. that's that. I think that's a valuable thing, and and. Because most of the designs on there are stolen anyway, right? Yeah. My thing is, if you're trying to figure out for your body what works and stuff like that, yeah. You know, figure oh. out your measurements, go shopping on Wish and see, do I actually really like this concept or not? And right. only invest $10, $15 instead of dropping 400 at stock. To find that it doesn't do you any good. Yeah. Right. I'll or it doesn't that. fit and it's crap. Like, you know, or going, my, so one of the stores that I really like, and I will, I will not shamelessly plug them other works <laughs> in fort lauderdale is oh. an amazing leather store <laughs> and i say and i say that i mean obviously i love their gear but from a customer perspective to be able to walk into a store and grab something off the rack is great but to be able to walk into a store and have people that are knowledgeable that are willing to sit down with you and say hey let me customize this for your body let me actually make this fit you instead of trying to make you fit into the gear. I'll agree with that. And that's something that a lot of new folks don't understand is even an option. They feel like I, you know, I walk into a kink store or any kind of adult emporium. I have to make my body accommodate whatever it is I'm purchasing. And it's the exact opposite. Well, even if you just have the ability to sit down and be talked to about what are your preferences? What are you looking for? Okay, this would probably fit you better. Like, even that would help. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a huge thing that people don't give enough credit to. Because anybody could sell shit. I don't care how Absolutely. good the quality is. But can you help match what they're using to what they need? That's a can much you make bigger it work thing. For them? Right. Because mm -hmm. it's absolutely pointless if you can't. Well, and that's and that was kind of my point, right? And it's and that's why I will say I'll do it. I'll I will do a shout out to Leatherworks on that for that reason, because it's, that is one of the few 
I'll say a larger scale retailer that I've had that positive interaction with on yeah. Etsy, you get that all the time. Etsy people that sell stuff on Etsy are so open to customization. They're so open to, and so that Etsy yeah. is a great resource. I'll agree with that. But, but the problem with Etsy is if you don't know what you're looking for, it's hard to find it. Yes. I'll agree if you that. don't already know, right? If you're so browsing, again, it, good luck. <laughs> yeah. If you're browsing, you just better hope the algorithm picks up what, what kind of perverted shit you're doing. Because yeah. that's, that's really going to be your best luck. But, that's, but again, that's what I mean about people being approachable to those that are new and learning and trying to understand. And yeah. so, and, th and that's why I think the stereotype for me of, you know, that stern old guard master or that, you know, the stern, you know, disciplinarian dominatrix, it doesn't work for everybody. No. And it doesn't need to. I don't think it needs to, to be honest. And I don't think it always has a place with things. No, and it kind of yeah. segues into the other side of that, which is specifically into, uh, the dominant end of the spectrum, which is it doesn't matter whether they're new or not, but especially very new people walking in as a dominant to a new event or thinking you're a dominant. Let me open with that. Yeah, I was going to say thinking. Because you don't know anything yet. You may not have even read much yet, if anything. Mm -hmm. And it's not even about being disingenuous. It's you have this assumption and we, we talk about this all the time about dom health and the problem with not everybody likes to talk to each other in the dominant space. Truth. And unfortunately, there's a lot of misconceptions that come with that because nobody fucking communicates. Um, also accurate. So the new guy who walks in and he puts on that, I am the darkest of Dom's moniker of I need to be <laughs> serious and not talk to anybody and look mysterious and dark and unapproachable. And, you know, I can't mm -hmm. let someone think that I'm actually afraid. And meanwhile, they're disservicing themselves. Because they have no idea how important it is for them to be open to learning still. Because they've literally read just enough to think that that would be bad. And unfortunately, yeah. those myths and misconceptions are so strong in the community for someone mm -hmm. new. Because we don't communicate. It, it's, it's almost like, you know, it's almost like guy code, you know, don't talk to each <laughs> other, just assume it's time to man up. Yeah, it's and perfect. everyone knows mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. It's the same concept, even if it's not between guys. But amongst doms, whether in many cases, regardless of gender, it's like that. And it's like, that's not how this mm -hmm. works. It can't work that way. And it's not supposed to. No. Like, truthfully. I, I truly, like, I will never, you will never be able to get me to believe that that's, that was the, the ideal functioning model and that people stepped into this going, yep, that works. That's great. I mean, it never was. Mm -mm. <laughs> like, it can't you know, be. If you, if, you come, if you come just from the leather roots alone, let's just go mm -hmm. with that. The gay leather roots of America, which is where most kink comes from here, at least, in terms of organization mm -hmm. and community. Again, not because there weren't people beating on each other in ancient Egypt. You know, again, we <laughs> have the different. hieroglyphs to pr prove it. We know it's been around for thousands of years. Oh, yeah. But it wasn't communal. It wasn't organized like it is today. Right. And a large part of the reason that we have an organized community in any real sense is thanks to the gay leather community of America. Not because they're the only ones and they represent the entire world, because I would never say that. Other parts of the world have their own sourcing. Yeah. But especially here in the States, a large part of why we have a functional community at all is thanks to them. Because yeah. they built one for themselves and it extrapolated from there. They're community did not start with we didn't talk to each other 
it literally was the opposite. It began because they were talking to each other to deal with trauma in the opening sequences. So they had to be open and communicative with each other. And that never stopped during their time because it wasn't the point. Being unapproachable would defeat the purpose. It kind of goes back to what I said about the old leather events would be a case where you walked in with consent because you were assumed to be a functional adult and act like one. Not like today where you have to put like 15 warning labels on it and still give them a rigmarole when they walk in (laughs) because people were expected to behave a certain way and they did because Mm -hmm. you expected that that's what they expected from you. It was a very different world then. But it was also enforced within the peer group. Yes. Oh, yes. Not it something was. else that's lacking. Well, and part of that I won't was say the lacking. Peer group it's was just different too, because it would be yeah. ten to fifteen people sometimes, maybe thirty, not hundreds. Mm-hmm. So there are differences. Like I realize that the world has very much evolved in a very big way, and I'm never going to pretend mm-hmm. it hasn't. You know, what worked for fifteen people doesn't work for five hundred the same way. <laughs> but. Right. There are precepts and concepts that absolutely should have never been lost. And that's a big one is you shouldn't be afraid to communicate, especially as a new person, as a dominant or even considering dominance. Maybe ultimately you've decided you're a swinger. Or you'd rather be beaten. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But there should be ability to communicate it without fear of thinking that others will look down upon you. Other mm-hmm. dominants should not be assumed to judge you because you don't know. And you can't know that unless you break past that bullshit barrier and talk to someone. Which is that right there is a great way to lead into different types of dominance. This is very true too. (laughs) (laughs) Which it kind of rolls together. It really does. Does you know? Because I was in my younger days, I was absolutely that. You know, the the sadist in jeans and nothing else in a leather vest. You know, I was the icon of sadism in the 80s kind of thing. Not that I was the only one by any stretch. You know, that was the norm then. But it gave off that I'm a dangerous person on sight kind of look, which was what most of us walked around as. Like stalking rich cats. Right. Or so we thought. Yeah, I'm so I'm so edgy. I'm so goth and dark and mysterious and dangerous oh, and I could hurt you with is. a look. Yeah, that bullshit. But yeah. that was very normal for a mm. lot of us. You know, or the gentlemanly dom, which is the other part yeah, of that that's time the frame one. that was very normal. Was the mm-hmm. guy in the suit and tie who appeared very casual and comfortable in his environment and walked and talked with everybody like he knew everyone and they were all his best friend. Until you get behind closed doors, and then he's a bigger asshole. Like, (laughs) also a stereotype that doesn't quite fit reality. Mm -hmm. But it was a common, it was absolutely a common appearance back then. Mm -hmm. And it was adopted by a lot of people because they saw the the leather daddy type, you know, the the traditional gay leather, you know, decked out in full, no fucks to give, brash out in your face, which wasn't actually true most of the time anyway, but we won't get into that right now. Because that's a leather thing, and we've talked about that. Mm -hmm. But you have that type, and then you had the sadist type, like I described, where they very much came across like, you know, I'm here to cause pain. Mm -hmm. The gentlemanly dom, who gave that soft but not, or as a friend of mine used to like to call it, ironclad silk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it, so that was I, the look. I mean, well, and I will say on the the more femme side of the spectrum, 
that also gave rise to what we now call the mommy dom or the soft dom. Yes, it absolutely did. That's that was the the, and I will say that that is something that didn't exist until there was such an overlap between kink and hentai. I'll agree with that. Hentai is really what really started that because it absolutely was a cultural thing. Um, oh, that was something was. that you truly only saw in Japanese porn. Mm-hmm. And it and it's like like most things fetish. You know, there's so much appropriation from Asian culture. This this is one of them that yeah. that I think hit first and hit hard, especially with the the younger generation. Um. And that's the, the the whole thing of, of the, the mommy dom that's, he, he, I'm going to dom you, but I'm going to edge you. And hm, you're in chastity, kitty boy. Uh-huh. Um, that is such a strange intersection that I'm seeing right now, especially with the queer community. I see it more often. Um, you don't see it as much in, in, in the, the heterosexual side. Um, the queer community, I see a lot of, of, of the, the soft dom type stuff. Yes, I agree. Um, and I find that amusing only because the original, which kind of breaks into dominant stereotypes still, the daddy of stereotype from the old leather days moved into the community kink days where it was the daddy was still a master effectively and a little was still a slave back then. So it's still a very specific controlled dynamic with a lot of heavy power exchange involved. And it wasn't influenced by all that softness at all. In fact, it was a very harsh dynamic, and I don't think people understand that. Yeah. You know, up until, ironically, it was actually the anime community and that whole, the weeb community, as it were. And I say that as an affectionate term, not as an insult. Um, yeah. No, no, it's just capacity, reality. Just mm-hmm. for those that hear it and they don't assume that I'm trying to be insulting, because I'm not. I actually mean mm-hmm. it as a compliment. I am an anime addiction person. I understand. Um, mm-hmm. But I understand when that movement came in, because before that, you know, you had leather daddies, and that moved into the daddy dom little girl yeah. aspect when it became heteronormative to some extent. But it was mm-hmm. an extreme dynamic, and I don't think anyone who was part of the newer, you know, CGL plus whatever it is now community now understands. There's oh, a the reason it had all yeah. the taboos because mm-hmm. once upon a time it was very normal for a grown man and a younger lady. And I say younger, I don't mean an 18 year old. I mean, someone who was still functionally an adult consenting. It's an adult. Yeah. You know, the taboo issues that came later because they got younger and younger didn't exist yet because most people didn't even touch kink before they were well into their late twenties because they couldn't, they couldn't find it. People wouldn't accept them the same way because they didn't have the same experience. And in those days, if you tried to be a little or a daddy before you had experience, you were not acceptable. Because it was such an extreme dynamic control. And they understood that as a community. So if you didn't have the experience to back it up, no one would vet you for that with any seriousness unless it was unhealthy in both your cases. In which case, the community wouldn't have been accepting of you anyway. No. Because it was a very hard thing back then. And I remember friends of mine who were part of that. And Mm -hmm. they were, it was very much the equivalent of a master sadist rolled into a dom. In the mm-hmm. most extreme ways. And, you know, yeah, they had a little and yeah, they had little time and all that shit that we think of today. But it was daddy went to work. Daddy would come home and abuse his little, quote unquote. 
because that was the agreement basically it was effectively the equivalent of free you know a free a free base it was free use mm-hmm. you know they came home and pretty much did with their little as they saw fit yeah and that was also why like dollification and such came out of that time frame as well in a very similar matter and it's evolved into a much better thing now but yeah. it came from the same source mm-hmm. and it was that movement of the queer community in anime where they got the softer the mommy dom concept and whatnot and it moved into is when people started being like well why can't it be a softer little and a little you know and daddy and now we have the the non-sexual ddlg community and all of that mm-hmm. and don't get me wrong i see nothing wrong with that in and of itself no no not but at all not at all fortunately this goes back to the stereotype part is unfortunately that community specifically the cgl plus the ones who forced it to become a new thing Mm-hmm. We're also the drivers behind a lot of stereotypes that unfortunately in kink are not received very well. The best examples of which are the non-sexual DDLG community was not very receptive right away because really it, well, it was one of these weird things that I wasn't one of them. I saw nothing wrong with it, but I found it fascinating because it evolved from what it was, which again, mm-hmm. remember it was a heteronormative free use sexual relationship. So for a lot of those where that was the norm, moving to a non-sexual concept was very hard to process at first. Now, that's a more relative thing, and I think a lot of that had to do with the heteronormativity of the time frame, to be fair, which that was much more yeah, but there's, today, too. So the funny thing about that, though, is there is a large faction of, of that community that their littles are non-sexual. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, that's always been a, um, even, even within that community, that's a hot debate. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, I, that's why to hear that is actually kind of surprising to me because my, my interaction within that community has been quite the opposite. Almost everyone that I've met was not sexual. Their play, their play was not sexual. Well, I'm their finding little... that more common now by a, by a lot, actually, it's becoming the normal. And that's, like and that's what I wonder if that's because, you know, again, entering the you know kink scene in the 80s and me entering in we'll say effectively in the 2000s right that that shift had already happened that that drastically in that time frame because like for me yeah because i think for me honestly i didn't realize that people were sexual with their littles no and that's why it was such a taboo yeah because it was strictly non-sexual there would have been never really a taboo issue with it the same way Right. But there's a reason right. that, you know, you now have a DDLG, CGL plus. I'm going to refer to it the old school way. Call me blameless if you want. I yeah. called it that way for too many years. I still recognize that there's both sides. It's just an easy term. Yeah. But, you know, as someone who never even touched it back then personally, right. I saw the roots of it evolve into what it's become and a lot of the changes that have happened to it. And a lot of those changes are for the better. Like, I'm never going to say it isn't. But I find it fascinating that it's now become CGL plus, and just as importantly, they now refer to age play, which is specifically the sexual capacity on that, Mm -hmm. as a separate entity within it, instead of it used to being that was the norm and non-sexual was not. And I find it interesting that that has become not only the minority, but they now use a separated label to differentiate that specific group because it's becoming so much smaller. And I don't see anything wrong with that. I think that's healthy because that's the community they want it to be. 
And because it's a lot more open than it was, it's not heteronormative anymore. You have queer folk of all walks of life, sexualities, genders, and all of that within it now. And I don't see anything wrong with that. I think there's nothing wrong with, you know, I don't care if you're a mommy or a daddy, whatever that balances for with you and your partner. That's your business, like anything mm-hmm. else. I just find it interesting that it's taken that turn when it is a part of the reason that age play become a taboo. It's part of the reason brats became a very bad sounding stereotype was coming out of the same movement that changed it what it is today. I see that. Not because they're the only ones who do it, but it's where the source was once upon a time. Right. And it moved from there to what it is now. Uh, that makes sense. I will say that I, I feel that that makes sense. Well, it's it's one of those things where I had the, I won't say luxury, but I had a very fascinating journey to watch unfold because I wasn't involved in it. It would happen alongside, like watching it in slow motion. Because mm-hmm. I was doing my own thing out of that community. But mm-hmm. I always had friends who were in it. So I would hear about it and I would hear about it from both littles and daddies. And okay. then eventually mommies and boys and all the other yeah. things. and. Mm-hmm. You know, and I even still had friends back in the day that were leather daddies with leather boys. And that's a whole different dynamic. Yeah. And they were that's... the ones who were part of the chafing originally. Mm-hmm. Because for them, it was not something they were comfortable with changing. Because for them, it no. was a very specific thing. Mm-hmm. It was meant to be. Right. Exactly. Well, and that's... I mean, I'm sorry. It was meant to be. No, there's nothing to be sorry about. You're absolutely correct. And that's exactly what it was with, you know, with daddy doms and little girls once upon a time as well. And I think that's the primary reason there was so much friction at first is because it was such a very structured, controlled, extreme thing. And it became, I won't say casual because that makes it sound like it was like dumbed down or anything. And I'm not saying that at all because it's definitely not been dumbed down. There's still complexity to it by any stretch. Mm -hmm. But it's almost like a large part of the young community that has pushed it to become what it is. Mm-hmm. It's also become their entry point for a lot of them. And I find that interesting. Because the taboos, well, the stereotypes, and everything that pushed with it came because the younger community is entering the kink scene stronger than ever. And mm-hmm. a large part of it comes from that particular source. Not all of it by any stretch, but... Yeah, but I think, his, historically speaking, when people entered kink, a lot of times it was based on whatever perversion they had, right? Oh, yeah. No, you you entered into the kink scene loving barehanded spanking because you loved barehand spanking. <laughs> and you didn't realize that there was a whole other world, so to speak. It was a part of that wasn't that wasn't spanking because all the porn you saw was around spanking or all the porn you saw was around you know dominant archetypes that incorporated that kind of corporal punishment right and then you walked in the yeah. door and there's spankos and <laughs> there's a like whole actual spankos actual yeah. group and it's detailed and hardcore mm-hmm. and it's like ooh. <laughs> or 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 you hit the reverse of you walk into a group and you are a spanking enthusiast but you meet a bunch of spankos that are diehard only spanking yeah. And you get completely turned away from it all because you're like, I'm not like them. No, because I also want these other things too. Correct. So now where do Correct. I go? And that happens a lot too. 
And I think that's why, like, when I, when I talk about the different dominant archetypes, and of course I pick on women more because it's what I know. Right. Um, I see, and that's the thing, being, being a, a dame, I see, I see the negative side of dominants who identify as women far more often than I do the, the, the men's side. Um, not to say that, that both don't have shitty behavior. They do. But I, I'll be on my soapbox for a hot minute. Go for it. But I feel, <laughs> I do feel that women dominance are often more predatory. I feel that they're often more abusive. And they also are more willing to do consent violations and then pass it off of, he, 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 I didn't know better. Whereas men are not given that same grace. Well, and I find that interesting because no one really thinks about it that way. Like, Mm-mm. it is not the stereotypical norm for people to see female dominance in that light. Well, and that's and that's why, and, and that's the thing is, I again having run events, and I and I see it a lot, and I, you know, the something that's unique to male submissives is much different than fem subs. Um, some will gossip. Like all subs gossip, right? Dominance gossip. Oh God, yes. <laughs> in in circles where you're dealing with male submissive dynamics, the gossiping is far different. Yeah. There is still this weird bro code. There is still like they don't want to shit talk female dominance because they they don't want to lessen their chances for play because the pool is so small, and so. They're not as quick to out consent violators or women that they see as dangerous because that now means that they aren't getting any play. And that's the part that irritates me. Um, I mean, I feel that men, because they are, the, the power balance is already so badly shifted because women are more desired ones because there's there's far more submissives than there are dominance in that sphere. What you end up getting are people that are willing to let a lot of bad behavior slide because you're fighting over the same, same you because know, boobs. I'll say 50 dominance. I mean, well, also boobs. No, and I don't say no. that as a detraction. It's, it's true. just, it's an honesty of... It kind of fits another form of that stereotype, which is, you know, most people don't like to admit to, but many people who claim to be pansexual or bi or whatever, on the male side of things specifically, not the female side, because I won't speak for them as I'm not one. I find it interesting because a lot of them will claim that, and they're romantically inclined to be accepting of males, but sexually they still prefer the female form. Now, as someone who appreciates both, I have no problem owning up to the fact that the female body is way more attractive with a greater whole. To <laughs> me, I personally find the female form far more interesting and attractive as a whole. I recognize and appreciate both, but I have a preference and I have no problem enunciating that. But as someone who's frequented with enough bi and pansexual males, I find it often many of them are not actually either because they have no desire to have sexual relations with any kind of males. Well, Romantic, that, but, maybe, but not sexual. And I'm not saying there's something wrong with that. I find it interesting that they use that as a cover because it makes them more appealing. And I have seen that as well. But it also depends on how they're moving within queer spaces. True. Very true. Because what, what I have seen, 
and again, going back to, to the toxic side of this stuff. Right. What I have seen is that with when it comes to submissives that identify as men specifically, they just are not as quick to call out consent violators the way that women are. Because it's still less manly. All of those negative gender stereotypes are still very firmly in place in the femdom world. Yeah. And it's allowed a lot of absolutely toxic, predatory women to get away with really god-awful behavior for a really long time and operate outside of mainstream kink, even within a community sense. I've seen this in multiple communities. So these, these women start operating outside of these normal BDSM spheres and they'll operate outside of these larger community spaces, you know, even at like public dungeons. I've seen owners and organizers, they're like, oh God, that one's getting ready to play. Watch her. And instead of trying to somehow correct the problem or be honest when they're vetting people, when somebody's like, hey, I'm thinking about playing with, you know, Mistress X, what do you guys think? Is she a safe player? People will lie to them and say, oh yeah, yeah, they're safe. Yeah, I haven't seen anything. It's like, it's perfectly acceptable to say, I'm not willing to vet someone. No, it's perfectly acceptable to say that I've not actually watched them play, so I can't vet them. No, or being, being honest, very honest. I've, I've heard things in the community. I've not seen this behavior. So I would say maybe go ask this person or this other person if they can vet them for you. But instead, they lie to these men, and they often get hurt. Now, I can't tell you how many subs have come to me because they, you know, wanted to engage in pegging. Because that's always, like, the number one activity. Um, they are actually injured by women who don't know what the fuck they're doing. I wish I didn't believe that as much as I do. Oh, no, it's constant. It's fucking constant. And, and I can't tell you how many submissives have come up to me and said... Not only was I injured, but it takes them quite a while to be even able to own up that they got injured and it wasn't their fault. And again, it comes back to that toxic side of these dominant archetypes of, you know, there's so many reasons that go into it, that uber domly dom, Mm -hmm. you know, or, or the, the bitch archetype, right? The, the sadistic bitch kind of a, a thing. So it's, it's like, oh, no, well, that's what I signed up for because I was playing with a sadist. Well, no, you didn't. Now, again, that's somebody being an asshole hiding behind a label. See, and I'll, I'll take it a step further. And maybe it's just because you and I are the kind where we notice that part of our community and we're more actively trying to combat against it. So we're more aware mm-hmm. of it than some. But it happens. I won't pretend to know the number difference. So let me preface with that. I wouldn't pretend to know the percentages and the exact numbers by any stretch to say which one's bigger, smaller, equal. But it happens as much in the heteronormative end of the dom sub circle of sub female dom male, where female subs very much emotionally or mentally abuse a dominant during play. My God. And the dominant suck it up. It without fail and either never mention it, never say anything. If they do, it'll be to a close friend only. And even then it'll be in passing Mm -hmm. like, yeah, but she was great. Or they will pass it off either because they don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to lose a potential partner that may have been halfway decent. 
because of the norms of domly dom darker abusive you know so the fact that they have any attention with a play partner at all, they're terrified to lose. And that's a scary Absolutely. prospect that they will keep an abusive, submissive play partner solely so they don't have no one. No play. And it's a shame that that's even remotely, I won't say it's common common, but it's common enough to be a concern. Uh, it's, it, no, it is common. It, and it won't be communicated in the community at all. Like the dogs no, in the community will not say shit to each other. So I will say that is something that's different in in the femdom space. Femdoms are real quick to call out a shitty sub. Not in scene. I will say that. If they if they have like a true scene that goes sideways, they are not quick to call that out. They are quick to, to label male subs as whatever. Yeah. Um but what I will say I don't know, because and again, het BDSM is so fucking weird sometimes. <laughs> so, so within true. no, but it is because within heterosexual BDSM, when you have heterosexual pairings, male doms get called out for bad behavior really fucking quick. Yeah, fem subs not as much, but fem subs do develop reputations within the community, and the and the male doms will talk about the fem sub openly um, when there's toxic behavior, or or they'll just say like, hey, listen, that one's fun understand she's crazy you know you'll you'll yeah. hear that kind of shit right i think it also depends the, on the population number too i think that has a part of it like a bigger sure community it does. will happen a lot more often too sure but in the femdom space it's the exact opposite in the femdom space they're quick to call out subs that are only in it for themselves and not actually trying to have a power exchange but they'll call out shitty behaviors in regard to that kind of stuff in scene but they won't call out the the other side of it of like the stalking, the red flags and stuff like that. It's almost, and I've watched a lot of female dominance feel like, well, it's just part of dealing with a male sub. And it's like, no, an asshole is an asshole regardless of gender identity. I agree if the person's that. toxic, they're toxic. For whatever reason, female dominance, and I've noticed it gets worse when money is involved. Because um, even with, with the, the financial dominance side of it, and when you have a woman that's engaging in fendom with someone, they too will allow a lot of really horrible, shitty behavior to slide because they're being paid. Yeah. And they'll incorporate it into the dynamic. Whereas as a pro dom, quick to cut a client off quick. Fuck that. I don't need you. There's Literally, other motherfuckers yeah. in line willing to give me their paycheck. I don't need you. But I've noticed in fendom, it's very different. You know, and that's... And I've and I don't know what it is, unless it's still just those gender stereotypes that that a lot of women just don't feel empowered to stop shit. But on the reverse side, a lot of submissives who are male are not willing to cut it off either when they see toxic behavior out of a dominant who's a woman. See, I'm I'm always loath to get into the gender end of things solely because I'm not a psychiatrist, and that is the primary reason why. Because I'm I'm old enough to recognize patterns of behavior by gender without, you know, being an expert by any stretch. And I'd like to be able to say that with some authority. I've had some years of practice. But I don't pretend to be a shrink, so I don't pretend to know everything that goes on organically in that sense. But I think there's parallels there that a psychiatric person would be able to break down much better in that female subs are quick to point out shitty behavior and toxic doms that are male. 
the same way female doms will be quick to point out toxic behavior in male subs. The females are always more willing to out shitty male behavior amongst mm, each yeah. other. Always. Not always, always. Obviously, there's exceptions to every rule. But it's much more common regardless of what side of the slash they're on. And males are far more likely to just bite down on it. Again, it comes down to supply and demand. Which honestly, it really is. It really does. It's far easier to find male doms than it is to find female dominance. Yes. And so I think by proxy, a lot of the submissives who are looking for female dominance don't feel as empowered to call shit out because they know the pool is already small. The problem with it is other dominants aren't calling each other out. Yeah. No, and and kind of to your point, when you have a toxic submissive, even even within the femdom space, they're they are quick to call it out once the relationship is over. In the relationship, now that it will it's not. Gone. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like they they there's a propensity to hide it, and and this is why I think it goes back to societal conditioning, and I will absolutely harp on that. Because even within female-led relationships, which I have a lot of experience in, <laughs> even within female-led relationships, you see women making excuses for shitty men's behavior under the guise of, he's just a guy. And it's like, no, I you're agree. a dominant, control it. You know, yeah. or, you know, or, you know, but like you said, even in scene. I've had my consent violated in scene by more men ever than by women. Mm-hmm. Hands down. Hands fucking down. I was the dominant. I was the top. It's happened, it's happened so many times. You know, from, you know, men, like, most, especially my public play. Oh, yeah. harp on this. I don't even fucking care. So, in my public play, I am non-sexual. Um... It's just, it's not, I'm not comfortable driving things in those directions necessarily. Um, so my, my public play, yeah, it's just, it's just, yeah, it's how I am. So one of the things that I always include in my negotiation is touching during scene, because a lot of people will ask, is it okay if I touch you? Because as a submissive, sometimes they want that connection. Yeah. And I'll use CBT as a prime example. When I'm engaging in CBT, Depending on my familiarity with the person I'm playing with, it is not uncommon for the person who has the penis to need reassurance as I'm torturing the fuck out of them. And <laughs> they may need to, it's not, and, and I want to make it clear, this isn't, I'm not talking about groping. No, what I'm talking about is a casual, like, like they're, because they're laying down typically, hand just holding my calf or hand being on my thigh outside of my clothing. And it's just that reassuring connection of, being able to touch me and stay connected while I'm working, right? No, I can appreciate and, that. And these touches are all negotiated. Right. And I'm always very clear, we're kissing, not swapping bodily fluids. You know, the club that I play at, we wear masks, so I keep my mask on. Um, I cannot tell you how many fucking times, and not just with CBT, but I've had it happen with flogging and other stuff, where man I am playing with will feel absolutely empowered like it's somehow acceptable to turn around and try to kiss me or try to lock up in a hug with me See, I'm like we didn't talk about we, we specifically negotiated that that was not going to happen each time the guy's like oh I just got caught up in things no motherfucker that was a consent violation 
I made it very clear what my boundaries are and you ignored that and you stepped over it and to try to claim, oh, I was just so in subspace. No, you weren't because we were having no. a conversation. It's just shitty behavior and you thought you could get away with it because you're a man and you're used to be able to forcing that behavior on women. It's deeper it's, than that. No, it's, it is. And I don't want to get necessarily into that part of it. No. That's but... what, but when, when as a female dominant and I talk about the fact that I get my consent violated as a top, that is one of the, probably the easiest ones to point to. Another one would be the exchange of body fluids. Mm-hmm. It's not uncommon for people to have an orgasm while they play, whether directed or not, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's not uncommon. It's not uncommon for people to spontaneously orgasm. That's, that's pretty common, too. Especially and for newer. So, <laughs> well, yeah, because hot plays hot play, right? Right. And so and if, some, if I'm playing with somebody and an orgasm happens, that's not a deal breaker to me. That, to me, is not a consent violation. I've had people orgasm from spanking. We didn't talk about it. It fucking happened. And it's like, so are you good? <laughs> are you good with what happened? What bothers me. And, and again, it tends to happen more with, with those with penises than not. It will be playing, orgasm happens, and it's either on me, which we didn't fucking negotiate, or yeah. it's, it's on the floor near me, right? And totally getting in, into body stuff. But like, you know, you have people with penises that tend to leak when they get excited. So the pre-ejaculate, right? Listen, you fucking know that about yourself. Warn a bitch, number one. Let me know that that's what I'm fucking working with so that we can properly protect the floor as well as myself. But two, I did not negotiate your body fluids being on me. Nope. Absolutely. You, and and I've, had, I've had it fucking happen. Um, during a directed masturbation, I violated my consent and orgasmed and ejaculated literally all over my shirt and pants. Oh. Uh. It was on purpose. It was fucking on purpose. He looked me in the face and did it. And one, I've never been so outraged. And obviously, whatever activities we were going to do were very severely cut off. Oh, of course. Um, thankfully, I always bring changes of clothes, so I was able to remedy that. I literally took my clothes off and handed them to him. It's like, those are yours now. And he was like, I don't understand. Like, you ended the scene. Everything was going great. I was like, oh, it was going great for you. No point I'm did I done. say, go ahead and splash me with your cum. Like, I, no, this, absolutely. this was not a bukkake thing. Like, I'm not down. And, but, but these are the behaviors that, again, the femme sub has an orgasm in scene. And it's like, yay. You know, everybody's clapping. The angels are singing. Yay. She had an orgasm. We're so happy. Okay. I'm in the splash zone, but yay. <laughs> and. No, but no, I, I know what you mean. I happen to not be wired that way, but I completely understand what you mean because that is the norm. It absolutely Because you've is. seen it. It, it no, it's, well, it's and I understand that you well, know, it's one of those things. Codes. I, I have to stand with you on that one because even with my own play, I have only exceptional exceptions do I negotiate with females the same way I do male subs for play for that reason. And I am very, very clear about no contact with a male sub when we play. For a number of those reasons, and a large part of it is, you know, we're we're not getting into the depth of, you know, male psychology and sexuality. That's not our discussion. 
But we know that males are prone to physical contact and sexuality being a one and the same thing. There's a reason that it happens. That doesn't make it okay. You should still be a fucking grown-up and control yourself and know the difference. (laughs) Or be able to, if you actually have a legitimate problem, like you get that excited and it's just going to happen, if you can't enunciate that up front, you're an asshole. (laughs) As a guy to a guy, be a fucking grown-ass man and own your shit. I don't care if you're a two-pump chump. There's nothing wrong with that. If you get that fucking excited, get beaten. Own it for the sake of the person you're playing with. Because you know what? They'll respect you more and be more likely to play with you again instead of getting fucking offended because you're an ass. Exactly. Exactly. Now, the flip side of that is I don't – I exceptionally rare cases I have had to negotiate with female subs that way. I Mm -hmm. usually don't have an issue with – because I'm very non-sexual with play, with pickup play in any capacity. I've almost always has been. Like, even in my younger days, I usually didn't have sexual contact with people I played with unless they were intimate partners to begin with. Um, Makes sense. Mm -hmm. So that was something I've been negotiating since in my 20s. And female subs would get really confused. Like, so you don't want to fuck me? I'm like, that's not what we're talking (laughs) about here. Now, if you want to negotiate that separately, we can go on a coffee date and discuss things at length. I'm not saying I'm not down. I'm just saying we're not doing that right now. But it's not something I'm going to do with something I met tonight right now in the last five minutes. If you want some kind of reassurance contact, I'm more than willing to discuss physical contact with you in a non-sexual manner. Because I understand you may need that while I'm beating the shit out of you. Like this is, you know, I know how this works. Right. And that's why we negotiate. Now, I will also point out and I will have the discussion and many of them get uncomfortable at first. And I will explain myself when I do. Do you get hypersensitive when you are beaten? Do you get aroused to the point where you are likely to have an orgasm while being beaten? Yes, 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 blah, blah, blah. Do you squirt when you're beaten? And they'll get really cringy. I'm like, understand, I ask because if you do, <laughs> I'm not okay with getting shot. Hey, and if I need to know, need if to know and you're getting there, I can dodge. It's not yeah. because I care either way. I'm not going to judge you for it. None of that. It's that I need to know for the sake of playing properly together. And that's it. And ironically, it's body fluid 101. Which is only ironic because when I have decent discussions about this with males, and they're not complete twat waffles. They what? actually understand that better and they're not as uncomfortable about it. Female subs will get cringy as fuck about it. Which I get why. I do. But at the end of the day, it's, it's the point factor. is that it's, yeah. But it's like, I don't care. Do you know how many other people are probably going to have the same problem tonight? I assure you, you're not unique. No one's going to draw a spotlight to you or throw a camera on you. It's the only one in the hall that had this problem. I if promise. anything, you're going to get high-fived. Like chances are there's going to be at least five others just like you and they might even go off the same time you do i mean (laughs) but it's a relative thing and i ironically i think psychology and sexuality and kink is something we need to discuss in a later episode because that is definitely something we can dive deep into but for the purposes of i do not sexually play especially with either gender for those reasons and a large part of it is arousal because it is very easy for that to come through. Because it's part of the territory. It's what we're dealing with. It's what we play with. It's kind well, of why we're doing it. Nature, <laughs> inherent nature of BDSM is very yeah. sexual. A lot of yes. this is it's erotic. Which translates to sexual for a lot of people. They can't, they can't separate sex from BDSM. Right. And I think that's a very valid thing. Because I think that's how most people come into it. And but, I get it. I mean, I'm sexually charged just, after playing well. I get it. Fuck yeah. I just have self-control about it because it's not my primary drive. 
Mine, mine is just I'm I'm more in control of my body than that. It, exactly. You know, again, it goes back to in order to master somebody else, you have to master yourself. Mm-hmm. I have control over my urges. Exactly. That's exactly. I right. don't I don't need to jerk off during a scene to to prove to you that I had a great time. Like it's I don't even need to get laid later to have a great time. Like, would that be nice? Probably, but I will live without it. <laughs> I assure yeah, you. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I'm not going to die because I didn't orgasm immediately after you I got it. Senseless. That's exactly. Yeah, um, but that's what I mean is when you talk about, you know, these different dominant types, uh, again, a lot of people have all these weird misperceptions on how scenes should flow and what's acceptable and unacceptable behavior that they remove the human component of who they're interacting with. Yep. Exactly. You know? It's like, like some, some of the, the female dominant stereotypes that I can't fucking stand like, I feel like when you, when you announce to the world, I am a dame. I are dominate. <laughs> no, no, no. But no, when you, when you truly announce to the world, I'm identifying as a female dominant or I'm, I'm a dame. Fair. There's a lot of expectations that get heaped on you because of that connotation. Oh, absolutely. And messages. I will like, God. When, so my fet life, totally, I'll totally out myself on this one. It's hilarious. <laughs> Now, again, 10 years, identified sub-slave. Right. I would kind of waffle between the two because it, neither one of those ever actually fucking fit me. But I tried. And messages I would get, you know, I, I got the same trash that every other femme sub gets. But when I switched it to identifying as a female dominant, a new fresh hell level of, it was unlocked for me. Um, and, and it was pure fucking garbage. And what I have found... Is that there were obvious stereotypes heaped onto me, and when I didn't fit them, I was met with rage from a lot of men. Um, and I'm not man bashing. That's that's it's no, just I know predominantly that. when you identify as as a female dominant, you typically get hit on by mostly men. Again, it comes down to supply and demand, right? So first, first thing you always get off the top is here's the fantasy. Can you fulfill this for me? Right? Kink dispenser. Yeah. Get through that trash. Get them out of your inbox. But what I, what I also found started evolving was, and would ask, well, what kind of a dominant are you? Very valid question. Very good question. I would tell them, not really sure yet. Haven't really figured out my type because I'm just exploring. So at this point, I'm more topping. I would say it just like that. And they're like, oh, well, that's not really what I'm looking for. Hey, not a problem. I'm not upset by that. Now, I, I hope you find someone that's willing to, to do what you clearly need to do. Like, I'm, I'm not upset. I'm exploring. And that's not easy for a lot of folks to, to take on, especially if you're an experienced submissive. That can be really frustrating. Oh, yeah. So I was very, I was very gracious about that when, when people would tell me, oh, that's, that's not what I'm into. Okay. What I found is that that was not actually the case. They weren't saying, oh, I'm not, I'm not okay with you learning on me. What they were saying is you didn't give me a clear picture of the stereotype that I want to engage with for me to jerk off to. Therefore, I'm not willing to entertain with you. And what that translated to was men wanted to know if I fit into one of five basic stereotypes. Super bitch, the, the sadistic, over-the-top, you know, like... Zada Sin or Queen Snake or, you know, any of, of 
those those extremely skilled but very commercial yeah. type behaviors, right? Are you a mommy? You know, are you, you know, the sensual disciplinarian? Are you, um, you know, the other one that I dealt with a lot was, okay, so you're into fendom, so that means you're a bitch. Yeah. No. My version of fendom is actually kind of life coaching, but hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one that I would get asked about constantly was um, like the goddess. Right. The goddess archetype. That was another one. And there are so, so many, many more, but like humiliatrix, you know, and it's like, I'm not down for humiliation unless I really know you because that's, that's another level of psychology that, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not willing to damage someone just because you paid me. <laughs> like, like it's just it's, not what I'm in for. It's something where I'm comfortable with like local casual peers to call you a dirty slut or something. And chances are we'll be calling each other's asshole and slut and dick and whatever. Anyway, that's, different even that's on a not ca- humiliation play. no that's not on the same level at all mm-hmm. like even in a harmless like play manner like hey can you call me names while we play well what do you mean by that i can take it to a certain limited point like dirty sure. slut or you know look at this filthy whore i'm getting the ass beat out of or you know that's <laughs> that's mild though that's not on a sliding scale of serious if you want real humiliation play, I have to know you well enough for us mm-hmm. to understand each other so you understand, one, where I'm coming from. Because that's something that absolutely needs serious consent and discussion as far as I'm concerned. It's one of those deeper You don't need to things. steer it where it doesn't need to go either, right? Like right. That's, that's the whole point of me guiding you through this session, yeah. guiding you through this scene, is you know, we're, trying, we're trying to get somewhere, and it's not just you orgasming. Like we're we're trying to cultivate an experience, or realistically should mm-hmm. be right. Well, and and I, so, but I realized because I wasn't fitting in any of those dominant archetypes that that I was expected to fit in, I was labeled a bad dominant. Fuck that. Yeah. Soul crushing when you're brand new, right? I was right. you know a year in, and and I did. I kept getting told by by several people when I would reach out to them to play. Oh well, I heard that you're not. No, you're not really um, that sadistic. Which anybody that knows me now, boy, knows are you a joke? That is. <laughs> <laughs> right? Jokes on you. Oh no, I've, I, on this yeah. server alone, how many people are like, oh, he can't be that bad? Mm. You just don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, my god. You're not in the play space in my range. Let's leave it at that. Exactly. Yeah. Until we've interacted, you can't say that. Right. The other. The other issue that I got too were subs coming to me almost like trying to goad me into a certain behavior like I had one guy and I, and I will label this a consent violation I had one guy that hit me up want to have a scene I'm looking for a disciplinarian um see that you're sadistic that's what I want to engage with so I want to have a punishment scene I'm like, okay, cool. Clearly, this is something that you fantasized a lot about. You know, I coming up with the infraction. Are you going to tell me what you did wrong? I need to in- interrogate you to get it out of you like a naughty child. You know, like, really how does this down, actually like, look? Yeah. How do we craft? Yeah. How does this look like in your mind? Like, right. You know, let me, because then I can start building what, what I can do with it. Right. Absolutely. So in the days leading up to our play date, the asshat basically starts messaging me 
I think in his mind initially it was bratty and then it turned just dickish. But initially it was, I don't think you can actually spank me. Oh my God. I was like, okay. And again, as a person getting these messages, I was like, where the fuck is he going with this? This is weird. Yeah, right. And and it was, you, you, there's no way that you could bend me over your knee and spank me. Okay, well now I, I know one of the things that you really want me to do. Right. Appreciate that. And then it was, um, you're not strong enough to hold me. Okay. Now I know you want to wrestle. All right. Want the struggle. That's hot. Not disagreeing. Then it was, well, you know, I'm so much bigger than you. I don't think that you could take me. It started morphing. I was like, now we're in red flag territory. Yep. <laughs> because it sounds to me like you're actually wanting to struggle for dominance. And yeah, you're six foot three and 350. I was going to say, too... I, I know how these usually go. I have an inkling of where proud. you want it to go. <laughs> I'm not too proud to say it five, five and 190. Oh, you got me. No, I'm not. I'm not a grappler by trade. I've never been in an octagon. I'm probably going to win that one well, by sheer might. And never mind, like we said earlier about non-sexuality. Like I know hey. where you probably think this yep. is going to go next, and that is not on the table. Exactly. That was the other part, right? And then the third part is, as a woman, I have to now look at dangerous assessment. Yeah. I'm not playing with you, fucking one-on-one. Nope. Sorry, dude. Now you're showing me that you've got this unsafe mentality. And I will say that I was very fortunate in this because I did still decide this is what was fucked up about me. I still played with him. <laughs> that was dumb. It all the happens. warning flags were there. We all make mistakes. I did, now, I will say, I did not get hurt. I want to be clear of that. I can I'm laugh glad. about it now because it was scary, but not. no one got hurt. Um, I was always smart enough that I met people in public. I even, even if it was a paid, in, say engagement, right? I still did it at public play spaces. Right. No, absolutely. It's my safety. Yeah, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't. I would never say that I was proing to the sense of like running out of play space, having like paid professional sessions like that. It. I wasn't there. I was still doing you know all the other weird shit you do as you learn. So. We were playing in a public play space, and a couple of the DMs who knew me and knew how I played saw the scene spiraling out of control, and they called it and had the guy leave. I was fortunate. I know that there are many women who engage with, with larger people than them. You know, obviously, gender doesn't matter with that one. Yeah. That are not as careful, and they don't understand the safety aspect of that, and that no, and they meet at their own say home that because somebody's room well, or yeah. motels or whatever, right? Yep. And, and I'm not saying that that's not valid, but my point to that is more the danger factor of me not actually fully understanding what it was he was expressing to me. Right. I didn't get it. I didn't catch it. I didn't catch it for what it was. Now, he was actually, in all of those days leading up to that scene, showing me his actual expectations were yeah. and he was able to manipulate me into doing it instead of being upfront about what he wanted now the person did end up being labeled a consent violator for a completely other reason um and got banned from the local community but you know it kind of became a cautionary tale with the femdom circles that i was in 
because they were like, oh yeah, did you hear what happened to Knox? You know, and it was like, ugh, nobody wants that reputation either, right? Right. So <laughs> that was one of those weird, <clears throat> that was definitely a weird thing that happened. But I mean, that's what I mean about the power of some of these different stereotypes and, and how they shape people's perception on how behavior is expected in kink and then how your behavior is expected to be in a scene. I think that's, for me, that was why I wanted to talk about stereotypes because I think people ignore that part. I think it's funny to poke fun, like, okay, you're the, the stern disciplinarian, you know, naughty librarian with a, with a cane. That's so hot. Mm-hmm. Sure. There's, there's a nasty flip side to that if you get the wrong personality type. No, no absolutely. I, and I think people ignore that. I mean, it's as much as we harp and we pick on Fifty Shades of Grey, gentleman dominant as a stereotype can be really fucking dangerous. It is. It Not in a Christian Grey kind of way. I mean, no, you know, just in the... the gentleman dom's hot, right? I've got a suit fetish. I love seeing I love seeing all bodies in suits. I think everybody I should be dressed in suits 24-7. It's fucking <laughs> hot. No argument. But I mean that. No. But I would love to see a polite society like that. It would be great. But I also know what kind of monsters can hide in a three-piece suit. You got it. Absolutely. Getting that classy veneer on a monster is still a real thing. No. Also, likewise, it's funny how the term sadist still has that dangerous connotation, right? People people are like, oh, you're a sadist. Like, oh, so you're you're a monster. And it's like, no, I'm just particular about what I like. Well, and I find it interesting because the gentleman dom versus the sadist as a stereotype, specifically as the older stereotype, really are two halves of the same point in a lot of capacity. I don't think people understand that there's a reason where those is that the sadist was the unabashed. I'm letting the beast fly. You know what Mm -hmm. I am. You know how dangerous I can be, blah, blah, blah. And you like it. That's why you're talking to me. Whereas the gentleman dom was very much the the monster is under the surface concept. And the problem is that nobody thinks about the other side of that, which is not all monsters are something you want to fuck with. <laughs> and the kind they're hiding usually means you don't know what kind of monster you're dealing with till it's too late. At mm-hmm. least that one over there is blatant with what they're doing. They're up front. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong. I am a particularly foul sort of sadist and that I truly do enjoy <laughs> the suffering of others at a scale that most don't. But I am also so not hot. the norm. <laughs> I'm not the norm, and I don't say that to be light or to make other sadists sound like they're casual. Or It's not like oh, that. But it's, it's true. That, it's different. It's that there are different kinds of sadism. I am very much in that deeper pool of I enjoy suffering and depravity at a level most are not comfortable with. Yeah. I personally have no problem explaining myself, though, and recognizing why that's not a healthy view for the majority of people and not mm-hmm. something you go deeply digging for. It's either oh. something you're inclined to or you're not. Right. Don't go looking for shadows in the dark if you really don't want to find them. Because what's staring back at you more often than not is not something you want to cope with. And that's also how most people end up in therapy. However. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I feel no, like most sadists end up in therapy for the same reason. A lot of them do. And a many, ironically <laughs> enough, I've had friends along the way over the years who that's exactly why is they met people like me and they were like, I'm not sadist enough. 
And no matter <laughs> how hard you tell them that, no, there's nothing wrong with being a different kind of sadist, there's no such thing as enough in that sense. Mm-hmm. They went digging harder than they should have, and they found something they shouldn't have that they were not okay with, and they fucked themselves up along the way. Which is a shame. It is, because that was unnecessary, and there's no reason for that. I know plenty of hardcore people in a variety of capacities that are not just blatant sadism, whether it's chem play, heavy body mm-hmm. play. I know a dude back in Minnesota who loves beating the crap out of people, literally. And that's his, that's his thing. The moment he starts reaching the point where bruises and bones and blood are involved, he's done. He can't go that far. But he can be brutal on the surface level. He's no less a sadist in his own right just because he doesn't do blood. And I don't think enough people understand that his level of sadism is every bit as deep as mine. It's just different. There's, There's no wrong levels that. to this. It's not like that. And I don't think enough people understand that. Am I the kind that will absolutely torture another sadist because they're talking too brashly about it? Yep. <laughs> I love putting other sadists in their place when they're talking too hard a game. But that's because <laughs> I am willing to go to lengths that some of them have limits on. A lot of that's born out of experience. Right. But I also don't torture people just to torture people in that capacity. Like I said, like friends of mine who are sadists who are just sadists. I don't go out of my way to fuck with them just because they're sadists. Unless they're bragging. Because then you invited me to. You basically challenged me. I mean, that's different. Because you (laughs) asked for it. And anyone who's a sadist understands, like anyone who's even a remote form of sadist understands, it's kind of a like camaraderie thing. among. It's almost like a frat thing. We fuck with each other. It's a natural part of the process. So that isn't abnormal anyway. Just ask anyone who's ever listened to Woody and I go back and forth. I mean, shit. Oh my God, right? Yeah. That's like a fucking art form. <laughs> but we've also had years of practice with each other, and we know the limits of how far we take it. And it's a pretty far limit. It is. <laughs> to those who don't know any better. But for us, it's brothers and camaraderie. We're good friends that way, and we're comfortable with it. It's love. Yeah. It, exactly. That's a love language for the two of you. You got it. That's exactly <laughs> it. I know. <laughs> I and know. not everybody gets it. But that's the thing is there's a different in that. And unfortunately, there's people who dive too deep trying to be something they don't need to be. Um, there's nothing wrong with I, exploring it, mind you. But don't do it to try to say, prove something to someone else or to prove that you're something you're not. That's how you I would never yourself. say. I would never say that they're trying to be something that they shouldn't be. I think it's more that they're pushing boundaries too fast too soon. Well, it can be both. That's all. Like, the person who's trying to dig deeper because they're trying to prove something like, all my friends are deeper than I am, I have to. That's an unhealthy mentality, and it's not good because you're digging for something that will hurt yourself or hurt others in the process. And I'm not saying it's because you're trying to, but you could still do so, and it's not worth it for yourself. And I don't want someone to ever do that to themselves. Right, but that's the point. The peer, there's a peer factor to that, though. Oh, yeah. Because Absolutely. if they are being that toxic, the people that are around them need to be picking up on that to some degree to call it out. Right. Well, even if it's sorry. just as a like, take aside, like, hey, dude, you, you don't need to prove anything to me. We're cool. Okay. You never have to prove that you're deeper than you already are. You enjoy what you enjoy, and that's awesome. Even that shit matters. It does. We'll say going back to the gender thing mm-hmm. the cool parts about being a sadist who's a woman who's a dominant is often in the company of other sadists 
I, I'm around people that start going the direction that you're talking about where they're, they're like, oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm this, that, and the other thing. I still have enough of a bottom in me. I will often say, yeah, you want to do it? <laughs> and they kind of look at me like, like, are you fucking Wait, around? What? No, come down. Let's do this. Put up or shut up, right? And the fear that happens when you're yes. like, let's try it. They're like, you would bottom for me for this? Fuck yeah, I will. I'm down. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Never my, my husband will look at me and like, I know you hate all of this. And I'm like, no, no, I'm in. Because my brain is wired enough that if I, if I can sense whoever I'm with is having enough fun, I can actually switch the lizard part of my brain on. I can get into stuff. Oh, no, I totally Even respect shit that. that. I hate. Yeah. I, I mean, my lizard brain, I can allow it to take over and, and I can just let the body react and life is good. And, and I, I can, <laughs> I've been able to endure some pretty fucked up shit for someone who's like, oh, I'm not a masochist. Um, and that's usually how I stop that behavior. Because I'm like, show me. Mm-hmm. And most Sounds people like don't know what to do with something, that. Because I'm like, you have something that I can learn from. I want to see it. Well, let me experience it. One of the things I used to love to do, and I, I don't do it now because it's something that I've, I've grown out of to some extent. And I'll freely admit that that's some of it. Um, and it wouldn't be something I would do with random strangers, but with people I knew reasonably well. You know, you sit a pool of sadists down together and we're, you know, four or five of us sitting around having a brew, whatever. And someone makes an offhand and the bragging starts. And we all know how this goes. You know, well, I've yeah. caused bruises, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so yeah, on and okay. so forth. The bullshit. You know, especially right. amongst a You're... pack of guide sadists. My mm -hmm. favorite thing to do if it was people I knew is like, let's prove this. Come on. <laughs> we're going to have a bottom That's challenge. You beat me. I beat you. Let's see who cries out first. <laughs> And it was my favorite thing to do because more often than not, most of them never bottomed like I have as I was raised in a leather house from the ground up. So yeah. most of them have never experienced the receiving end to begin with. Oh, we wow. all okay. know how this is okay. going to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not always. Sometimes once in a while it would be proven to me. And, you know, every so often I ate crow and, you know, they proved to me they I were every like bit as capable. Me. It mm -hmm. happens. And I had no problem owning that shit. Like, okay, okay. I, you know. But more often than not, they backed out so fast, their head spun. Like, wait, what? No, seriously. You want me to what? Yeah. And one of the it. others, like, you seriously are willing to let someone wail on you to prove the point? Absolutely. fucking lutely well, What makes you think that's going to scare me? I've had it happen before. And they don't know what well, to do with it. the other part is it's accountability, right? Yeah. There's, there's an accountability that happens within dominant circles that is very different. And it... Anytime those dick measuring contests start with women, it's, it's awful. Yeah. It gets so toxic so quick. Um, but, but I think by and large, any dominant, like when that kind of behavior starts, it literally, everyone around them needs to shut it down. There's no I reason agree. for it. It's not bratting. It's not cute. It's not funny. No. It's not healthy. It's, it's so just God awful. And I, it has taken me quite a bit to learn not to, to take the bait. No, I agree. And that's why I said I've uh, grown out of right. doing that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it, it, there's, there's an emotional maturity that happens and emotional IQ that you realize I, I don't need to partake in this. I have that's nothing not to prove. for me. Yeah. 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 Once you hit that secure stage, right? And so it's, yeah. 
Well, it's always it's, so cringe when that happens. Well, and it's recognizing no one in that circle needs to prove a damn thing to one another at all. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't actually serve anything other than to promote that toxic frat-ish, camaraderie-ish, but don't talk to each other when it matters. Coming back almost full circle to the same stereotypical thing of doms don't communicate. I don't like promoting that kind of fraternization in that it usually also promotes doms not talking when it counts. And that's the part I'm always important on. Is I don't need you to prove how good or bad or dark or serious you are or casual or soft or hard. I don't give a shit. That's your business between you and the partners you play with, unless I'm one of them. What I care about is if you're having a problem or you sense a red flag or you think you might have a problem of your own, mm-hmm. you need to be able to own your shit hard enough as a grown-up to come to another person who might know enough to bounce the idea off of and be like, hey, I think I have an issue. Or, hey, can I talk to you about something? Or can we talk in more. private? Or mm-hmm. I need to know more. Any of those things are valid. Any of them. It goes back to what we say all the time about I'm an open fucking book. If you need to know something and you don't fucking ask me, I don't care what it is. I don't care what the situation is. I don't care if you're married and you don't know how to approach your husband about being open. I will talk Mm -hmm. to you about that, too. Now, granted, that is not exclusively kinky, but it tends to happen in the kink community more often than it does in anywhere else. And I'm willing to have a nonjudgmental communication with you about it to help you. Because it is for your well-being. It is for the community's health and well-being. And yes, there may be cases where if that, like that example, I may have to talk you through the fact that that's not healthy and you can't do it that way. But I'm not going to do it by judging you or making you feel like shit for thinking about it. I'm going to direct you in a way that's constructive for you to own it and figure out what to do next ethically for you and them. Because the goal is never to hurt another person in the process. That accomplishes nothing for either of you. And nobody likes dealing with that part of it. But, you know, and I've been in the situation, unfortunately, where I've been with someone who tried to ruin their relationship. So I say it from a person from a place of understanding and non-judgment of this is probably not what you were going for. Let me talk with you about it so you understand what you need to do to own where you're at. And if it means you may have to look at being away from the other person in the end. You can do it in a way where neither of you hate each other, Hmm. which is just as important because it's okay to say maybe we're not compatible the way we thought we were. There's nothing wrong with that statement. No, there's not. And that's a relationship thing, not not a kink thing, but it still plays its part because a lot of people in kink have those issues because it's kink Hmm. that usually causes a lot of them for some couples where they come Hmm. into kink and they realize my needs and your needs are no longer the same. It's okay to have different needs and to evolve, grow, and change as a person. What matters is if you're communicating it as an adult. Not if you have them. There's no shame in your life changing. It's what you do about it. (laughs) Well, and, And I think once people get out of their own heads and get out of their own way, yeah, growth happens. Exactly. But I found that that ability to do that is directly proportional to the people that they've surrounded themselves with. Oh, it absolutely is. That kind of self-discovery doesn't happen in a vacuum, not in a healthy manner. 
No. That's a, a friend of mine, and I won't get into details for a variety of anonymity's mm-hmm. sake for them. But, you know, there's a saying that comes out of the 12-step programs, which is, you know, people, places, and things. If you surround yourself with the shit that got you there in the first place, what do you think your chances are of getting away from it? And that's Absolutely. a good rule of thumb for most toxic shit of any kind. Now, always there's situations. You can't always just extract yourself from everything and disappear to another environment. It doesn't work like that. This is real life. But there are ways to cope with it in a way that's constructive, ethical, and helpful for your sake and others. And that's where the difference is. Having the emotional and mental health to approach things as a grown-up, no matter how ugly they might be. Mm -hmm. Because it's okay for them to be ugly. People are people. You're gonna have ugly. Shit days happen. Shit people happen. Shit moods Mm -hmm. happen. It's how you deal with them that matters, not if they happen. Yeah, that's the what sooner you, you figure mm-hmm. that out, the healthier you get faster. Because it's a lot easier to cope with a situation if you're recognizing the fact that it's not the situation that matters. It's how you deal with it. Twenty percent. Yeah, not what I was hoping to wrap up with, but it works. I mean, <laughs> that was dark. <laughs> we got dark. It happens, and it com- It comes with the territory of stereotypes, misconceptions, psychology. Like, the nature of kink, people associate kink with this dark aspect to begin with. And there are a variety of reasons for that that are valid. You're diving into, into a part of your psyche that you typically don't show the rest of the world, right? Everybody puts that, that sunny face forward. Yeah. And you're talking about not only your sexual drives, your animalistic drives, but, you know... Anything that operates out of what you've been taught was normal is exactly. considered a perversion. Well, automatically, you're on the darker side of things. Well, especially the moment you get into the other end of that, where you get into, you know, why we associate it with darkness, the pains, the suffering, mm-hmm. the bleeding, the, the darker kinks, which not all kinks are dark, but there's right. an association with kink in general. Mm-hmm. So there is automatically, the moment you say kink, and you don't understand it like we do. There's an immediate offsetting, clicky, dark connotation to what you said to anyone who doesn't understand it. Because that's what society has taught us is how it looks. Until you've had enough time to understand, it's so much deeper than that. And it's so much more beautiful than that. And there are so many shades to it. And I don't mean Fifty Shades of fucking Grey. (laughs) I would 100% agree. I figured that was a good way to wrap up stereotypes, if anything was. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So, final thoughts with Dartax and Knox. I mean, it's it's so stereotypes are so laden with so many different meanings. Like they are, and for some people, that's what they want is the stereotype. Like they're happy with it. Well, yeah. that's okay and that too. Works. I mean, if it fits you, sure. Then, I, then it, right. to me, then it's not a stereotype. <laughs> no, and you it's know what? If that's what you want and you like it, go for it. I don't care mm-hmm. if it fits a stereotype or not, as long as you're being ethical and legit about it with yourself and others. 
I don't give a fuck what it looks yeah. like. Simple. I think I think I get hung up on is it healthy? Like if it's healthy, then to me it's not a stereotype. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it, actually. I agree with that. Because to me, stereotypes are inherently negative. That's why we call no, it I a stereotype. Agree. I totally agree with that. That's a good way to look at it. Because, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, for finals, you know, anybody who's hearing this for the first time hasn't listened to previous episodes, whatever the case may be. You can find me on FetLife. You can find me on the server if you look hard enough. I'm out there. You can find my email if you dig. Um, anytime you have a question, anything at all, please email me. Reach out to me. I don't care what it is. I'm not going I to guess. judge you. I Now, if you're trying to, like, smuggle cocaine, I'm not going to help you. Like, let me be real about this for a minute. But <laughs> you know what I, I mean, like how or you, you should. You have that limit. Well, I mean, realistically, if it's not about something that should be appropriate to what we're talking about in some capacity, you know, I'm not going to help you, like, give free advice of how to do stupid illegal shit. That has nothing to do with what we're talking (laughs) about here, and that has nothing to do with me and you. Um, (laughs) But in terms of actual, you know, reasonable information, advice, discussion, questions, ask. Never hesitate to ask. I will always help people out who need to know more. 100%. That said, thank you listeners of all kinds, those here in the server and those that will listen later. You are the reason we do this at all. Thank you guys so much and have a wonderful rest of your day. Good.